Let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> In Ephesians chapter 2, last week we had, uh, uh, to me, what was a powerful lesson from the Lord. I love the book of Ephesians. And we were in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verses 1 through um, one through 10. And we ended up with, for we are his workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Folks, he didn't just bring us salvation. He brought us salvation for a purpose. We've been created for good works. There's things that God needs done in the earth. And he needs a people. He needs a body that he can work through. And it said, which God prepared in advance, or you could say a long time ago. God's had a plan at work in the earth for a long time. Yeah. Let me just tell you, you are a part of his plan. We are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. There's things God has ordained for you to walk in, and he's planned it a long time. He planned in advance for these things to be done. So God's calling us. We read a scripture that, you know, God's working through us. He's made us ambassadors of his kingdom. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And it's like he's imploring, he's pleading to people through us that they would come and be reconciled to him. It's so foreign to that image that, that uh, is portrayed and what a lot of the world thinks about God up there somehow being vengeful and wanting to just take people out and looking for an opportunity to sling a lightning bolt. That's not the kind of God we serve. You know, one of the enduring things, and we need to understand because we're not balanced unless we get it, and that is that first and primarily we need to know that God is a holy God. That's his nature. That's the testimony from the beginning of time. That's a testimony throughout eternity is that he's a holy God. The testimony that the angels and the seraphim say around the Lord and the elders say before the throne of the Lord is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They say it three times for emphasis. They don't just say, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. They let it ring in the heavenlies. Holy, holy, holy. What does that mean to us? That means he's a pure God. He's, he's a, a holy God. He's separate from anything else or anyone else. There's nothing else like him. But it also means that he can, he's holy and he cannot tolerate sin. It's a part of his nature. The good thing is that we have to understand that while God is holy, he, God has to be just. Now, he prepared all of creation for mankind, all of the, the paradise for mankind. He said, look, this is all yours. I'm giving all of this wonderful paradise to you. Just one thing, you may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the other trees are yours. You can have them, you can eat from them. But just this one, the one parameter that I'm saying, if you don't eat of that tree. And so what did they do? Well, there's that one thing I can't do. So let me go. <laughs> and they were deceived. The enemy was involved in that and it deceived them. And the one regulation that God gave was that God wanted to fellowship with them God would come down and walk with them in the cool of the evening it's the scripture tells us but the one thing that God said don't do this they had to go and do that thing <clears throat> you know adults are just kind of like grown children you know if you've had children work with children just don't don't touch that don't don't do that and what do they do they, they do they do that and uh because of that sin Death was not God's plan for man. God planned life for man. But because of that event, 
sin was released into the world, and because of that event, death came into mankind. Death is not God's highest plan for mankind, but it was released, and all of humanity has been affected by that. The good thing is that we know that God is holy, and we know that God, because he's holy, has to be just. But the other side of it is that God revealed himself that God is a God of love. And so where man had no way to dig himself out of the pit that he had fallen into, and every attempt that he made to try to get out of the pit just made it deeper. He was digging and slinging, but it was just making the pit deeper. He couldn't get out of it. God intervened. And we know that the Scripture tells us that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. His intention was, he, they set a plan in motion from the beginning to bring redemption to mankind. Because God is love. And so we're not left hopeless in the earth. We've been given hope through what Jesus accomplished for us. And Paul's gone through and written about the intervention of God and how God the Father chose us before the beginning of time and how he adopted us into his family and how Jesus was the one who brought that provision to us through his death on the cross. And then we're taught about how the Holy Spirit in chapter 1 is the seal and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit that he has come to dwell inside of us and also how he has come to empower us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And so you can see God's provision in bringing mankind back onto a course where God can work through us to accomplish his purposes in the earth. And we go through and read the scripture that we just read from Ephesians 2.10 where it says that we are his workmanship, his, his, his masterpiece, and how God's got things intended for us. But then he steps back and he says something in verse 11, and he starts out with a therefore. So if there's a therefore, it means he's He's prefacing what he's getting ready to say based on what he just said. He's talked about how God has restored us, how God's got a purpose and a plan for us and, and all that God's done for us. But he says, therefore, because of what went before, you need to see this. So verse 11 of chapter 2 says, Therefore, remember that firm, formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision." But then he puts a little side note. He says, the circumcision that's done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. So what's he doing? He says, therefore remember, therefore remember. Well, doesn't this sound just a little bit contrary to what we've been talking about? Because we've been talking about how God doesn't look at you based on your past. God looks at you based on where he's taking you. God's looking at you, and he's wanting to lead you into the future that he has for you. But here he's saying, remember. Let me just tell you this. This remembrance does not have to do with God sticking his finger in your eye and trying to tell you what a sorry person you were. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with us knowing what it was like coming from that place and being mindful of the people that are still there. God doesn't want us to lose sight of people who need what we've received. Don't forget where you came from. Can I just, I know, look, hope is a good thing. And sometimes people live right around us and they don't have hope. Can we just interject a little bit of hope in this place this morning? Can I ask this question? How many of you 
are different today than you were before you met Jesus? <laughs> How many's lives have been transformed? Look, there may still be pieces of the puzzle coming together, but I, I've loved to say it in the past, and I would like to say it this morning, that God's grace rewrote the story of your life. He turned what could have been a sad ending into a glorious ending. He brought light into a dark place. He untangled those cords that had you so tangled and bound down that they were dragging you down into the pit, dragging you down into the deep. All hope was going away, but God intervened and brought light and brought hope and brought deliverance and set you free. So now you're standing on a whole new footing with a bright tomorrow. And that your destiny is different than what it had been projected. God can rewrite the story of someone's life. And we don't need to lose. He said, Paul says, remember where you were. And I'm going to go back to that so I don't miss it. He said, look, and I, I just jotted some things down here. I, you know, I'm in the NIV in case you haven't missed that. But I'm in the NIV today, new, new, new improved version. Um, <laughs> new international version. Remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth. And what's he saying? That, that Gentiles means distant or foreign or separate. It's actually an unclean kind of term. You know, for, for the, uh, we're, we're adults in here, so we're talking about being circumcised or not being circumcised. That, that circumcision for a Hebrew was a distinguishing mark, a distinguishing trait it was not a painless thing to be circumcised, okay? It took something to be identified with God. It took the cutting of flesh, but it distinguished them from, from the other peoples of the earth, and they were very proud of it. It was something that that is our, our distinguishing. God required that of Abraham. But they also looked down on people that they considered Gentiles or outsiders of the, of the people of God. They looked down on them even to the point of considering them like dogs and, and, and not welcome, not, not welcome around them. You were, you were Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision. Look, this type of circumcision was a physical thing. It may have been a dedication to the Lord, but it was a, a physical thing. It may have changed the physical body, but it didn't change the heart. They could have a physical mark, a distinguishing feature, but it didn't change the heart. It took Jesus' intervention to change the heart. And that's why the Scripture talks about a different kind of circumcision, a circumcision of the heart that's done by the Holy Spirit when we get saved and when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with us. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and starts nudging us when we do something or think about doing something that we shouldn't be doing. Thank the Lord for that presence of God with us that lets us know when we're trying to do something or attempting to do something or being led into something that we should not be doing. It's important that we keep our, this is really old school to say this, but we keep our radio dial tuned to the Holy Spirit. Y'all know what radio dial tuning is? Y'all ever have one of those radios or the stations used to, I remember, remember Bob Brockenden who was here, and Bob used to work for the Voice of America, and he also worked for WREL as an engineer at one time. But he used to tell me that old school, uh, remember we were looking at that, Station downtown at one time, Pastor Eric, he said, you know, that equipment's old. 
that's old stuff. You know, it's going to take a lot of work and upkeep to keep it going. But he, but he was telling me that the old radio stations, that they had to constantly keep that station on the right frequency. So it may not have been that our radios were so bad. Well, it used to be that you'd be listening to the radio, and then it'll start getting kind of fuzzy, and you have to go back there and tweak that dial a little bit. Folks, the Spirit of God is constantly speaking into our lives, but we need to make sure that our dial is set on the right frequency. And when we start getting a little fuzzy and we start, it starts getting a little bit blurred, we need to get back in there and tune that dial a little, bring it back on station. Now we've got digital tuners and they stay locked in on, on the station. But we need to make sure that we're remaining sensitive of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us guidance, but we need to stay attuned to Him. Part of the Holy Spirit's process in our lives is to circumcise our heart, to help us walk out a life that is committed and consecrated and dedicated to the Lord. That's part of what he's here to do. But what, what uh, Paul is talking about to the believers here in Ephesus is that don't forget about the fact that you were once outsiders. You were once apart from the promises of God. Matter of fact, he says, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship. Not that you just didn't have it, but you were excluded from it. You had no part of it. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. You know, if we really take a look at at what's going on in the world today, there's some very concerning things that are going out there it would be really easy to just and and the body of christ has been guilty of this in the past to just just give up on them and let's just cocoon ourselves and pull away but that's not what paul's encouraging us to do right here look there's a lot of i'm i'm amazed what seems like uh i guess i'm going back to radio or or it's like an amplification of evil in the world. There is this intensification. We've, I mean, when you think about what we've been through in recent years with, with ISIS, well, that's kind of shifting right now, but there's still wickedness going on out there in the world. There's, there's things going on in our nation that a few years ago I would have thought, I would have never thought that in this nation we would see such blatant uh, defilement and, and turning away from God's laws and God's principles. Well, folks, there's a large segment of our society that's never been taught and never heard. It has not been instilled in them as a core of their being what righteousness and justice is. There are some that the appetite is that we're going to throw off restraint. We're not going to let anybody tell us what we can or can't do. We're going to do whatever we want to do. And nobody has the right to impose their values on us. But the Creator is still the Creator. God is still God. Everything in heaven and earth is still His. But I see people out there, you know, the, the whole, the whole uh, opioid epidemic, and, and that's just, I've talked about this, but this is one aspect of it. Had good discussion the other day at this pastor's breakfast about this. And one minister shared about how his own brother had gone through a, a medical procedure, and having gone through the medical procedure, when he started getting the pain meds, it was just like it took hold of him. He he didn't. It's almost like he didn't have control of it. It was it. I can remember having surgery ten years ago, and when I had surgery post surgery, they said, "Well, Mister List, you are you are not managing your pain well enough. You know, I've gotten the morphine 
pump and I can hit that button. Many times they won't, it will only dose me every once in a while, but they said, you're not using enough pain, uh, what do they call it? Management, pain management. They said, you're not using enough pain management. I said, but I don't need it. And they said, well, but you need to use more in order to keep the pain suppressed. And I'm like, I don't need it. You know, if I'm not hurting, why do I need to give myself more morphine? They said, but, and and then it was more than one person came to me and said that. And there may be a medical reason for that, but if I didn't need it, I didn't want to take it. But look, I'm not in in any way belittling someone who comes through a, a crisis and they're in pain and they take those meds and then before long they realize they've been snared with something and they... They can't break free from it. There's a lot of people that are just trying to respond to life and they're doing the best to medicate the pain on the inside and they get caught in a trap. They didn't ever mean to get there, but they just they were just trying to deal with life and they got stuck. Kids that start out in school and someone offers them a gateway drug that becomes a little bit of a heart or something before long, they're ensnared in something that they, it was never their intention. I heard somebody testifying online last night that, I think it was middle school where he first was introduced to something, and before long, he was hooked. He was a, 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 a very good athlete in school, and before long, that didn't mean anything to him, and he was just ensnared in, in drugs and, and opioids and things like that. Folks, we've got an epidemic in our nation. We can talk about drugs, and that's a, a blatant thing out there, but there's people caught in all kinds of snares of the enemy. The enemy has got them bound up and excluded and things like that. You know, and from with a church mindset, we better not have the mindset, well, look at them. Look, when, and I've said it before, but every time we see someone that, is, that their lifestyle or their actions is demonstrating the fact that they need help, we should see it like a banner and sign saying, there's someone that I can reach. There's someone that I can help. There's someone that I can intervene for. There's someone that needs someone to come close and bring some hope. Paul's saying here, look, you're not too far from that. It wasn't too long ago that you were Gentiles, that you weren't citizens, that you had no part of the covenant of promise. You had no hope in your life. Don't forget where you came from. Remember how desperate that place was. Remember what it felt like to be an outcast. Don't turn away from these people. They need the hope that's inside of you. When I was reading this, and you know I've talked about this before. I talked about the aliens or strangers or foreigners and things like that. But let's just go. I'm going to run over to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. Now, this is when God's giving his covenant to the people, okay? In Exodus 20, he reveals what we call the Ten Commandments. Then he starts talking about not worshiping idols, then he talks about their relationship to servants, and then uh, in 22, verse 21, look at this prescription that God gives. I actually like it better in the New Living Translation, but I'll stick with this because I'm here. No, I'm not. I got my Bible there. I can pick it up and be right there. You got Mine's marked. I've customized mine already. So Exodus chapter 22, y'all excuse me for taking time. Listen to this, folks. Again, the perspective of the outsider and the insider. Okay, we've got a covenant. We've got hope. 
But we can't lose sight of those that are outside. We can't lose sight of those that have need of what we receive. That should be a part of our mission. That's a part of our calling. If we came here and sang beautiful, eloquent songs and had fantastic worship service and we were blind to the people in need, we're doing God a disservice. Jesus came for those people that didn't know him. Jesus came for the lost. Remember the, the story about the shepherd? He's got the 99 in the fold. I mean, that's a pretty good count. 99% retention is pretty good. But he said, but there's one. There's one out there that's missing. And what did he do? He, he, he got the sheep into the fold and kept them safe. But then he went out and looked. How many hours did he go looking? How, we don't know. But he went out and searched for that lost one. You know, after a day being out there with sheep, he was worn out. But yet that one was valuable enough. He didn't lose sight of the one. But here he says in, in uh, Exodus chapter 22 and verse, verse 21, you must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Foreigners, it was the term aliens or strangers can be applied right here. And what he's talking about is people who have, have come into Israel they are not Israelites, but they're living among the people. You know, they're the outcasts. The, they, they don't really fit in. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. And then he goes on and says, you must not exploit the widow or an orphan. And listen to this. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. Listen to what God says. He's speaking to his people. He says, my anger will blaze against you and I will kill you with the sword. He's a just God. It says, then your wives will be widows and your children will be fatherless. Okay. So, I mean, that's pretty plain, right? Pretty intense. So is that God's desire? No, he doesn't want that. What is he trying to get across? Look, take care of the people who are drowned, downtrodden. Take care of the people that are hopeless. Take care of the people that are in need. Take care of the people in need. So let's just jump in with both feet. I'm going to say this. Our problem's got a problem with illegal immigration. Okay? We've got a problem with illegal immigration. Yes, I'm stepping in it. Okay? But let me just tell you this. It, if ever a nation's rule of law breaks down, you cease to be a governable nation. You cease to be a sustainable nation. What happens in that type of environment, it's been... It, it go, it's testified throughout history. What ends up happening is that where rule of law falls down, all of a sudden then you become a prey to anybody who will rise up and exert power. <laughs> Outside force, inside force, somebody's going to rise up and fill that vacuum of power. If ever there's leadership missing, there will be somebody or something that rises up and fill the vacuum of power. So, as a nation, it's important that we be a nation that's governed by laws. If we don't have laws that govern our nation, we become vulnerable. And let me say to this, as a church, as the people of God, we need to also recognize people that are in need. 
So there is a legal issue going on in our nation, but there's also a moral issue that needs to be struck by the church. And folks, when we see people that are in need, we shouldn't exclude them from the goodwill of God. God, you know, I love the fact that, you know, there are people that, that I love the fact that God loves the fatherless. We've been talking, we, last week we talked some about the, the laws that were passed with regards to abortion and things like that. God cherishes those babies. God cherishes those that are abandoned. God cherishes those that are growing up orphaned. God cherishes a, a widow that, that finds herself in a desperate situation in the, in the culture back then. You know, a widow couldn't just go out and get a job and sometimes an abandoned wife or sometimes a widowed woman if the family wouldn't take care of her, they became vulnerable, and sometimes they ended up getting involved in prostitution because they didn't have any other way to have means to support their family. If the church and if the community or the family wasn't doing the job, they became desperate, and they took desperate means to support themselves or their family. We are the church of God. We are God's people in the earth, not ourselves alone, but the churches around the area. We should be reaching and meeting the needs and injecting hope where there's hopelessness and helping people that are desperate and outcast and giving them a place to belong and to be and get the moral foundation that they need under their life and help put the pieces of the puzzle together for them, help them to learn how to manage their finances, help them to learn skills to be able to get a job, provide resources so that they can help put a foundation underneath them and live a different and better life. Don't forget the stranger. They may be strange. They may not eat the same. They may not smell the same. They may not dress the same. They may not look the same. But don't forget where you came from. You know, we may, not, we, we may look at that, and we're talking about maybe someone who came from another country or something like that. But the reality is there's people that came from the background that we came from. They may eat the same. They may dress the same. They may talk the same. But they may be outside of hope and outside of promise, and they need what we've received. Here we are inside the family of God. Do you realize that we have the unlimited resources of heaven at our disposal? I'm going to say it again because I love the phrase. The unlimited resources of heaven at our disposal. The Lord spoke to me a few years ago and said, if, you, uh, if you've been called by the Lord and you've, and you've answered that call, that you've dedicated yourself to the Lord, that whatever it is that God's called you to do, you have the unlimited resources of heaven at your disposal, when God purposes and plans it, and you say, yes, I will, then God's behind it to see it fulfilled. So if we've been blessed with this bounty of heaven, shouldn't we also want to turn around and share that bounty with someone that needs hope? I just need a little bit of hope. Is there anybody out there that cares about my life? Is there anyone that can change my situation? Is there anyone that can help me raise these kids? Is there anyone that can help me? I, I, I want to change my circumstances. I just can't see an out. I can't find the door handle to open the door. I need someone to point the direction. Paul says, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you were in your former, former days. That was your story once. But verse 13, he says, time check. But verse 13, he says, but now in Christ, hallelujah. 
He didn't say hallelujah, I did. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. It is not our testimony anymore that we're outcasts and we're out there and we're separated from God. No, he has brought us near, right alongside. We're included. Can we just read these promises and the things that he says about us? Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace. You know, there was a sharp divide between Gentile and Jew. There was a very distinct separation. Even the, Jew, the, the Gentiles who recognized God as, as, as the Lord, creator of heaven and earth, when it came to temple worship, the Gentiles could only go so far. They couldn't go all the way in. There was a wall there. There was a separation. You cannot go beyond this point. This inside place, this place of close fellowship and intimacy is reserved for those that are of the circumcision, those who are of the household of Israel, those who are the, the in crowd. But it says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed. Love that term. And another translation says, he abolished. The barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, whatever it was that made a distinction between the two has been removed. There is no longer a separation. We together have access to the Lord. By abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations, look, what he did transcends the law. The law was a school teacher. It provided things for us. There was some guidance and direction that led us towards the place of Christ. But now Christ has come and Christ abolished the law. I mean, he destroyed the separation that was between God and man and brought us back into relationship with God. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So there was a division between the outsider and the insider, the one without the promise, the one with the promise, the one who had, had no hope, the one who did have hope, the one that was a citizen, the one, the one who was not a citizen, the one who was a citizen. There was this clear divide, a, a place, a barrier that was in between, and God said, no, I am going to abolish that separation in Christ, and I'm going to bring those two together, and I'm going to create one new man, one new body. And in this body, verse 16, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to, those, peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Paul talks about where we were. He talks about where God has brought us, but then he interjects another aspect and he starts talking about what God's wanting to accomplish through us. So he takes us and makes us take a glance back so we don't forget where we came from and we don't lose sight of the people who need what we have. And then he talks about what God has done for us and lets us know that we are included, we're all apart. And then he wants to explain a little bit more about what God's taking, where God's taking us. He says in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer for foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, <laughs> built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And I, I want to I just pause right there. Look, folks. 
I had a uh, teacher in Bible school, and Paul Oxley. I don't know. I don't know anybody in here. I know that Eric Dow would have known who Paul Oxley is. Pastor Eric, you know who Paul Oxley is. But Paul Oxley was just. I probably made the worst grades in Paul Oxley's class of anybody. He was a scholar, scholar. Love God. If you were to describe in a theological term Paul Oxley, Paul Oxley was a Christocentric theologian. Doesn't that sound fancy? What does that mean? It's very simple. Christocentric. It means Jesus was in the middle of everything. He loved the Lord. Every scripture you read, he found Jesus right in the middle of it. He talked about Christ. When, he's somebody that when you went into his office, his, his office was just a wall of books all the way around. Four wall, they didn't have to paint that room. It was books all the way around, bookcases. The thing that was unique about that compared to my office where you can go in there and you see the books are on my shelf. On Paul's office, there are tabs in all of the books. You're not going to see tabs in all my books. I start a lot of books. And I have a lot of people bring me books to read. I'm like, I got four beside my dresser right now. You know, but, but Paul Oxley's whole library had tabs in it. And you would be talking to him and say, wait just a minute. And he'd go and grab that, that book off the shelf and, and show a marker in there that had something pertinent to what you were talking about. I don't even understand how his mind worked. But there's times when I would see his office light on at 1030 at night. And then I would see him out jogging late at night or jogging early in the morning. And I told someone, I bet if you ask him why he jogs, it's not just for the physical um, uh, renewal that that gives him or the strengthening, but he'll tell you that it, because it helps him to be able to think more clearly. And I'm one, of the, one of those people went and asked him, I said, why do you do that? He said, well, I just find that I oxygenate my brain and I can, I can think more clearly. One day we were in class and somebody, somebody uh, jokingly Dr. Paul Oxley came in, and, and he was in the room, and, and he walked in, and somebody stood up and just jokingly said, Dr. Oxley, he said, if, if I, if when I grow up, he said, I just want to be just like you. I want to be like Christ. I want to be, you know, and Paul Oxley just bowed his head, and just tears started coming out of his eyes. He said, please don't put me that close. He said, Christ needs to be on a much higher plane than I am. Look, folks, there's things that Jesus has accomplished for us and brought us into fellowship with him. We've been invited into the family. We have been joined together with him. We are his body at work in the earth. But, folks, I want to tell you, even though God's brought us a long way, I want to make sure I make a clear distinction between where Jesus is and where I am. I'm a work in progress. He's a finished work. You know, God has completed what needed to be done with regards to our restoration, but this flesh still fails sometimes but I'm working the journey. I'm walking that journey. I'm moving ahead. I want his intervention. I want his Holy Spirit to speak into my life. I want him to challenge me where I need to be challenged. But folks, I want to make a clear distinction. He is the Christ. And we are his representatives in the earth. We are doing his work, and we've been empowered by his Holy Spirit. And look, we a lot of times put ourselves way too low on the totem pole because we're looking too far into our past when we make judgment about ourselves. But I want to tell you this, you have been empowered by God to do works of service he created for you to do. But we need to make sure that we can clean distinction between who the master is, okay? He is the Lord and he is the God. Jesus is Lord of all. So anyhow, Jesus is the cornerstone. What's he saying? Look, this whole building, this whole structure that God's putting together, that he is, he's set a corner in place. And when they would set, a master builder would set a corner in place. 
based on that corner, they would put the lines out there. That one corner would be the determining factor for where the straight line was and how that building should be. And if they went off center from that thing or they went off plane from that cornerstone, that wall might lean out like this or become unstable or it might lean in and become unstable. If you miss the mark of that standard or that image of Christ or that, um, that uh, uh, there's a term, there's an in, uh, Paul uses a term in, in sample which is the same thing as like when they would take a seal and they would hit it into it to wax or when they would press a coin. That original makes an imprint on something. If that imprint is not true, then that, that thing is not a good representation of what the symbol should be. Christ is the original. And all of us need to be coming into line with that. This, there's also a term used in, in the Romans for, you know, there's the cornerstone, but there's also a capstone to where they built an arch. And all the other pieces of stone could go up, and they'd brace it, they'd brace it, brace it, but then they'd put that capstone in place. And when that capstone were in place, they could remove all the other structure, and that capstone, the capstone kept everything just perfectly aligned, and the whole weight of the structure was perfectly balanced, and it stood. And some of those things have stood for, for millennia because it was put together the right way. The center point was in place. Therefore, everything else could stay in place. In the body of Christ, we've got to make sure that our foundation for our life, for our experience, for your relationship, don't base your Christian walk on an individual, on a personality, on a movement, on a denomination. Let Christ be the center of all. Let Him be the cornerstone. Let Him be the capstone that makes everything work. It will balance. It will come into the line. The Holy Spirit will work with us. And when there's something that nudges to the right, that capstone or that cornerstone will give us guidance into where center is and where we should be. So make sure that Jesus, don't follow a man, don't follow a movement, don't follow a denomination. Follow Christ. 20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises a holy temple to the Lord. You know, I can look back over church history and say, God, we sure have missed it. There have been massacres that happened in the name of Christ. There have been terrible things that have been done when people got their eyes off of Jesus and didn't do things the Jesus way. There's a lot that's happened in the name of Christ that in no way reflected the nature and the character of that cornerstone, of that capstone. But in the midst of the rubble of all that history, I can tell you this, there is a people of God that are rising up. There is an, an edifice, a temple, a building that God's putting together that will bring glory to His name. A glorious church without spot or wrinkle. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives in his spirit. So here's what I want to say. Paul started out, he says, remember, remember where you came from. Folks, we're people here with a mission. Don't forget where we came from. But remember, that place that you came from is not your destiny. That was something in the past that's something we can look at and we say, thank you, Jesus, for where you brought me from. So, God, what do you want to do? And I just want to tell you something. And I could be doing a volunteer message right now. But, folks, every one of us 
has a place to hold our weight in the body of Christ. Every part, every one of us who is a child of God has a, a part in God's building. So I can get together with brothers and sisters in other churches and folks, they may not be as willing to embrace me as I may be willing to embrace them. And if they're not, may God give us grace that we can see them as family when they may not see us as family. May we pray for them and bless them. May we pray for the Holy Spirit to be able to guide and direct them and lead them into all truth. Be gracious and don't take offense at people even when they are offensive. Because I can tell you there's been times in my life when I kind of got on a bit of a high horse and it was easy for me to look down on people and it was my it was my immaturity in the faith that did that. But I can tell you this, God loves those people. And they may not sometimes be willing to fellowship with us, but we need to be willing to, to fellowship with them and call them family. We can still pray for them. Whether they want to sit down and have lunch with us or not, we're going to pray for them. May God bless his body. May God raise up that tem- temple and that tabernacle to be a blessing to him. Folks, it says in here that what God's desiring to do, and this is part of what he's called us, that he wants to be a building that he can dwell in by his spirit. That's my, my heart cry. God, would you use me for your glory? Transform me. I want everything changed that needs to be changed on the inside and the outside. I want the things that I'm passionate about or that I allow myself to be distracted with to get changed. But I know one thing, when God needs something done, I want to be available. I don't want to miss the opportunity if it's at Panera or Handy Mart or wherever it is. I want to speak for Jesus. I want to interject truth where truth is needed. I want to give life where life is needed. I want to give a breath of life. I want to give hope to people that are hopeless. For people that are excluded and outsiders, strangers to the promises of God, I want them to know that there's a promise, that there's hope. Christ live in us. Christ live through us because we're your people. Would you stand with me today and let's just make a fresh, I know that we, you know, I know that you've been committing yourself to the Lord. I know that you're dedicated to the Lord, but folks, there's more that we can all do. I know there's not one person here that, that, that would say that I've done everything that I can do. You might be worn out, you might be tired, but we can all get a little bit better. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh. So, Lord, here we are. We are your body, your God. You're the temple that you're building for yourself to dwell in. Just like you built a tabernacle in the wilderness, your God, so that you could come and dwell with your people, your Lord. You're putting us together as living stones, your God, so that you can dwell amongst your people, so that you can work in the middle of your people. God, I'm asking you to to take us as though the symbology that's coming to me, Lord, is like a glove. Lord, people may see the form, dear God, but the hand inside is what moves it. So, God, we need you to be the hand. Lord, without you, we've got a form, but it's lifeless. We need the hand. So, God, would you work through us? Would you bring hope to hopeless people, dear God? Would you bring and set people free that are stuck in a pit? 
God, would you break the power of, of drug addiction, dear God, and addiction to pornography, dear Lord, and addiction to sex, dear God, and addiction to, to, to power, dear Lord, and an addiction to, to greed. God, there's so many different ways that the enemy has, has uh, developed tactics to ensnare people, dear Lord. There's people that are bound with hopelessness. There's people bound with rejection and despair. All the snares of the enemy, dear Lord, break them in Jesus' name. Lord, and use us to bring hope into a hopeless situation. God, it's not by our strength, but it's by yours. It's not by our worth, but it's by yours. It's not through our blood, dear God, but it was through yours. So God, accomplish what you desire in us. Here we are. Use us, Lord. We are your people. Instruct us in righteousness, dear God, and help us to bring hope to the hopeless. And God will give you all the praise and all the glory. We say amen to you. We say, so be it. Here am I, Lord, use me. Here am I, Lord, send me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. May God use you this week. Amen. Mm -hmm.